Hey, Saturday morning, 8.42, and the sun is up. We're out walking. This is Buddy's owner doing a Arizona schnoodle walk. And Bud's getting a lot of attention today. And a, a, a first on the podcast, I've got show notes. I actually have some prep. I did some prep for this one, some real prep. So what are my points for the rough, my rough draft is reading people's minds. Oh, the trouble we get into. That's number one. And then a little bit more on us and them, prosperity, gospel, abundance, thinking. And end it with kiwi fruit. Kiwi. Did you know? Okay. So there's our podcast show notes for this walk with Buddy. And I, I didn't run it by Bud. He didn't. Uh, he didn't approve of those topics. But uh, here we are. And it's 53 degrees. I got a little light sweatshirt on. And um, let's get started with reading people's minds. So that that's probably came. I'm probably inspired by Scott Adams and some of his discussion on in his book. His latest book is like uh, Loser Think. I think that's part of it, but that's how I summarize things is communication is difficult and we're also dang impatient, right? So I think with the whole world has gotten in this habit of like reading body language, being impatient, they want people to like, you know, get, what do you want? You know, so you're on this podcast now and I want to give you what you want, but I know you're not that impatient. So uh, this is your time to be unpatient, but outside of this podcast, think about your interactions. You know, it's like a constant, at least it's for me. Right. So for me, I actually, obviously this is my podcast. So everything is swayed based on my perceptions and experience. And I know this, this is about me now. So, I mean, I'm distribution curve you know, a Gaussian curve, I'm, I'm way out there on thoughts. Like I wake up at four in the morning and I had like, my brain's clicking. I mean, I had six hours of sleep and I don't really want to get up at four in the morning, but I'm up, you know, I'm just in that stage of life where six hours up at four and it is what it is. You know, you can, I can Google and read about, oh, sleep habits. Oh, use the sleep app, use apps, use electronics. Yeah. Sleep better, get better sleep. I don't know. Do I have good sleep? I don't know, six hours and then just kind of resting for a couple more. You're not here in this podcast for me to give you tips on how to live your life, at least directly. You're going to have to find, this is a little challenging podcast. You have to listen and then figure out, well, what are some tips I can bring to my life? I'll try to get that into the, the now what. So we're still dealing with the so what. So what? So read my reading minds, I suspect. We just it's like a habit. I have it. So on a distribution curve, I'm way out there. Like I'm always my mind is always smoking on fire. It's like clicking, clicking, clicking. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. In fact, what I'm finding is in self-awareness is like, whoa, wait. Not everybody does what I do. Not everybody as that one friend said, not everybody likes to go as deep as you do. So it's not like I'm trying to pull people up to deeper thinking. I'm just like, what can I, what, what benefit do I give you 
with all my thinking and processing and angst. So I basically have angst, right? Frustrations, right? And uh, so reading people's minds, I noticed was, wow, I do it. I'm doing that. And then I also caught myself in a discussion yesterday. My wife, I don't know if I did a pod. I don't think I did a podcast yesterday, probably because I uh, was trying to make peace and just said, hey, let's walk the dog and get over our little spat. So we walked the dog in silence. And so I didn't do a podcast yesterday. So that's the backstory of why there was no podcast yesterday. But here we are. So we had a day off. No podcast. And um, the argument I realized was we had a discussion going and uh, there's, a, there's this typical men thing, like men try to solve problems. And that's like an easy like uh, slam on men, right? Because ah, this guy, they won't listen to me. I just want to be heard, right? You know, but that's to see there's times when you want to be heard. And why don't, why don't, uh, people just say, hey, um, I don't want you to try to solve it, um, but can, let's talk this thing through, you know, or something like that. But I mean, I'm interpreting the situation as a, hey, we got some logistics to solve, logistics, logistics, logistics. And I'm like, oh, great. You know what? We've got a way to, we got a, and, and we got a way to just to get some amazing solutions to those logistics, all these unknowns. You know, because I met these people, the topic was pretty basic. It's like renting out your house with VRBO or Airbnb or home away. And um, some neighbors down the street have been doing it for five years, but they don't live here. They're also from Minnesota. So it's like they're not here very often, right? So now they're back because it's winter, it's December. Is it December, folks? I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> feels like April to me, April or May, because the weather is beautiful in Arizona, if you haven't figured that out yet. You know, you can almost walk bud every day, right? Gee, would you know, would you, would you even phantom, wait, fantasize that thought? So, okay, so back to mind reading. So we're having what I thought was a practical discussion about logistics and getting a house ready and painting projects and moving furniture and getting things set up. And I'm, my brain's like, okay, well, um, let's make a list of all these ideas we have and let's, let's, let's talk about it with these people that have rented their home out for 40 times in the last five years or whatever. Right. And so they know from experience, right. And it's in our neighborhood. It's like, and I mean, it's like they, their market, it's not like we're competing with them. They're they're like they're cool, man. That's that's the other thing too is this abundance mentality, and it's like, hey, they're offering to help. Let's let's uh, let's listen, right? I'm excited, and, and yet I got some like pushback. Maybe the way I communicated or what have you, it kind of blew up into something like we're all stubborn to a level, live different level too. That's another part of this mind reading thing: impatience, stubborn, and. It kind of blew up, and a couple minutes later, my wife was like, "Well, you don't realize I don't. Um, this is my house, and I've lived here, and you know we may have to go stay. Morning. We may have to go stay with um, 
my mother for a week if we rent it out. And, and I'm like, oh, well, that's a new piece of information to me. That wasn't part of the discussion earlier. How, I mean, am I supposed to read your mind and know that that's what you're thinking about? Like, and I, I feel usually the way we communicate with each other and a lot of people do is this expectation that people know what they're, you're thinking. I'm guilty. I guess I, I probably do it all the time too. But I'm starting to catch myself and go, oh, wait a minute. This person's expecting me to read their mind. That's not going to be, if I, if I have to read someone's mind, then that's uh, a big failure mode. Because what are the odds that I'm really going to read someone's mind accurately? So on the distribution curve, many of you listeners might be like, oh, of course, no brainer, man. But I, I would suspect that you may fall into that pattern as well in certain circumstances. Not in every circumstance, right? But in certain circumstances, I can, yeah, I just, it's like how we operate, right? You go to the store and you want to buy some camping equipment or something. You're just like, oh, is that salesman? Is he is he ready to help me? I'm, uh, uh, I'm reading his mind. He's, he's ready to help me now. Let me ask him a question, you know. So it's just the way we humans operate uh, socially, I believe. So that, ask yourself, how often are you reading other people's minds? So I'm bad at that. So that's just a confession. And I'm sure you're not perfect at always, never reading minds and that you're always patient and you're always um, just so pleasant in all your relationships that she couldn't possibly ever be guilty of trying to read someone's mind or expecting someone else. That's probably the worst case. Expecting someone else to read your mind. And that's probably one of my things. Is, in fact, it's one of my, because of my strength is like strategic thinking and coming up with ideas. And because I have the classic failure mode of all human beings, which is, doesn't everybody think the way you do? You know, doesn't. Now, you, you're probably chuckling on this podcast if you listen more than a couple times that, no, hell no, nobody thinks like you, dude. You're like freaking whack job, but I'm not. I'm like, embrace my whack jobness, right? So we're all in a distribution curve somewhere. And I have some amazing strengths in some areas, and I go complete failure and suck in other areas, right? <laughs> so so what, what does that tell us? I, and there's a lot. You can go a lot of directions with that one. And we're just a few minutes in to the podcast. We're just, we're just getting rolling here. So that's mind reading. Let me check my notes because I'm freaking prepared today. Man, all the trouble we get into. So mind reading gets us into trouble, stress in your life. And if you're, and so for me, I'm just using myself as an example is I have to slow down, man. I have to slow down in both speaking and listening. And um, if I'm, and, and to me, this framework of am I trying to read someone's mind or is somebody else expecting me to read their mind? Do I really understand? I mean, there's, what is it? Uh, 
Stephen Covey, like, well, he already wrote the book. It's called Seven Habits of Effective People. And, you know, it's always seek first to understand, you know. And that sounds great, and that's pretty much what I'm talking about. But I'm just reframing it in my own personal experience. So it's not really new what I'm saying. So you should recognize that you've heard this stuff before. Which also spawned some early morning thoughts about King Solomon and how he said there's nothing new under the sun, right? So our human existence, spirit, troubles, angst, our hero's journey is the same as the hero's journey and struggles thousands of years ago. That's how I interpret Solomon. Because certainly when Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, someone could argue and say, well, that's BS, Solomon. You know, you never saw a jet airplane. You never saw an iPhone. That's new. Jet airplane, Solomon. Hey, Solomon, there is something new under the sun. Guess what? The world is not flat, dude. <laughs> so so what? how do we interpret that, right? And this is a little bit of attribution bias. So typically people with faith and and uh, who want to conform to a religious practice, whether Judaism or Christianity, they'll come up with reasons like, well, no, Solomon, that's, he's exactly dead on. He's right. And people that don't like religious structure, um, religion, or don't believe in God and faith, and they think it's all a bunch of baloney, they're going to say, look, well, look at that, you know, Solomon's, he can't possibly be right. I mean, he said there's nothing new under the sun, and just look at all the technology today. So uh, that's attribution bias. So if you're, depending on which side you are on, you frame or see, you attribute certain things to certain things. So you will literally interpret there's nothing new under the sun. You'll literally interpret that as like, what does he mean? No, no automobiles, no trains, planes, you know, automobiles, cars, but no iPhones, no space travel. What? The earth is round. What? That's not new. And it's like, oh, well, I want to attribute the best to that statement. So I'm going to look at that and go, oh, well, he's probably talking about human nature, human interaction, human beings, the soul, the spirit. There's nothing new. We all have, we're all born into this world and we try to find a way, try to find a path. And it's not new. So you're listening to this podcast, which of course Solomon is in heaven right now going, well, I guess that's new. Yes. <laughs> a guy walking his dog in the desert with uh, AirPods in his head speaking to a uh, recording device that goes around the whole world so that 7 billion people can hear his wisdom. That's new, isn't it, Solomon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my audience of 7 billion here is uh, is getting some um, content. You're all getting some good content here. Well, it's uh, you decide whether it's good content or not. Uh, 
I learned that a few years ago when someone says, don't tell us this is funny. We'll decide whether it's funny or not. So I'm not going to tell you this is good content. You decide whether it's good content, not me. All right, so we covered that. Next one is us and them. And uh, this might have to be broken into two points. So us and them is a podcast about how, from Rob Bell, about how there are no us and thems. There are no thems with Jesus, right? So he goes on for an hour, and I probably spoke about this before. And he talks about it for an hour. And a couple of weeks later, months later, he's like, oh, well, what are we going to do with this president? We got we got this president. You know, we're killing the earth. Oh, it's, you know, and uh, so he kind of goes on a rant against the president. And I'm like, dude, don't go political. Me neither. I'm not. I don't really want to go political. The point being, though, is that the dude's inconsistent, right? At least, I mean, I'm sure he could probably spin it and say like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm still an us, no us, and Jesus has no thems, right? You know, and, and so, you know, I'm not inconsistent, you know. No, I, I'm supposed to dump on Trump. I'm supposed to dump on the president and say Republicans are evil. Yeah, I'm supposed to do that indirectly. I'm not directly. See, if you listen carefully, I'm sneaky, and I don't ever really come out and directly say it. But basically for an hour, it's an implied message that Republicans and Trump are just freaking evil, right? So then you ask the question, like, huh, well, whatever happened to the no us and thems thing, right? And then I'm, I can't imagine. See, he doesn't, it's a podcast, just like mine, right? So you're either pissed off at me. If you want to attribute one side or the other to this thing, you know, I don't care, right? There's 7 billion people on the planet and we're all us's, okay? That's the bottom line. So to be the pure Rob Bell aficionado, you'd say, Sorry, Rob, you you almost got it right. But technically, you really got you can't just dump on this guy. He's one of us. All Republicans are just us. And and it's just what is it what what's the really what's what do you do? How do you take it to the next level then? Well, you say politics is bullshit is what you say. That's what you say. Okay? Okay, Rob. You know, I'm helping you out here, Rob. You 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 got to stop the uh political slant because you're just alienating people who don't aren't with you are you with me on that are you with me rob raise a glass rob come on raise a glass and so i'm baffling this guy in chicago who's in the chicago bubble i mean you live in chicago you're you you're influenced by your surroundings i say i'm not because i'm in arizona and there was like nobody here 100 years ago so I ain't, I ain't, I'm, I got the purest, clearest mind of anybody because I'm in the desert where we get our minds baked clean every summer in July, right? So I'm not biased. Oh, no, 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 because I live, I'm not, I'm not in this bubble, the Chicago bubble, right? Or the LA bubble or Hollywood bubble or New York City bubble, right? Look at a map, people. Where's the blue and red? It's like concentrated in areas, right? So I'm not making a, I'm not trying to influence you to vote anyway. Just go vote however you want. I don't care. Get pissed off at me however you want because it does, it's all bullshit. Okay. <laughs> I got to put my blinders on, right? Rob can tell me like, well, just put your blinders on. Like, you know, get your blinders on, get your message out. You got something to say, get it out there. So that's my us and them rant for this morning. My other religious rant is the abundance, no, the uh, 
the uh, prosperity gospel, right? So for whatever reason, I woke up this morning, I was looking at, I think I was Googling, like, why, why do I, why am I so contentious? Why am I so contrarian? You know, as if I have the, you know, it's like all on me, 100% of me. And I'm like, no, I think actually uh, at least 10% of it is on these dudes who say stupid shit from the pulpit that I get pissed off at. And and it's like I have no avenue to express my opinion. And so I just get shut down because nobody really wants to, they don't want to seek first to understand me. You know, they're not doing it. So, so I do a podcast then. Thank you very much for abusing the hell out of me, right? He goes, oh, no, we're not abusing you, man. You just, you're just a whack job. We just don't know how to deal with you, man. You know, okay, all right. Yeah, read your Old Testament. Do you think Jeremiah was received like, a, like, like he was just a great member of the church? No, whatever. Don't want to go too far and defend myself. But I'm at fault, of course, right? But I'm not 100% at fault. Otherwise, I go into depression and misery and despair. So there you go. That's And, and so I'm, I stumbled on this Financial Times article, which is a highfalutin newspaper, right? Financial Times, English paper, right? So the dude, I don't know, I, I saw like he went and this summer, he spent a, a couple of days down in Houston with old Joel Osteen. And the words coming out of his mouth are like, well, this is the prosperity gospel. And I just like, oh, gosh, people can if I could do anything, I would just reframe this prosperity gospel thing and say, why do you frame everything like this? You know, I mean, Joel Osteen's not run around like there's no big sign outside the church is like, welcome. We preach the prosperity gospel. No, they don't do that. They just he's just doing his thing. OK. And in fact, in many ways. He's freaking talking about a living God that's still alive and active. And all you other people, the opposite of the rule, prosperity gospel, the people that don't like that or want to label it or slam him, put him in a box, make it an us and them, right? They're making it an us and them. Well, you've got to figure it out. They have the knowledge, right? They have, you know, really, you know, this guy's wrong. It's false teaching. So, yeah, this does piss me off, right? So here's this English guy now who really has no clue at all what what prosperity gospel is but simply because other people use it to criticize joel he's like oh i'll grab hold of that i'll take that i have no idea what prosperity gospel means but it sounds like a really insulting term doesn't it let's just go with it you know so here's this english dude slamming these guys you know and he and the people he goes down and starts talking to people at the church and you know he has no He's just a English critic, right? So, and I, I notice him on Twitter then, and I look and I see who is this guy. And it's like, ah, oh, he's just a Twitter. He's tweet. He's an English guy in Sussex, Sussex, and he did all you know all his studies. And his his father was Lord Umpty Squat or whatever, right? So, so, so right away he's pissing me off just with that, right? They probably won't piss you off. You know, am I trying to make sides here? I don't know. But what I'm saying is the dude has got an attitude right going in. And he's like grabbing onto other people's criticism and just adopting it because he wants to criticize. Now, do I do that? Probably. But so I'm just saying, be aware, people. 
because we get we we put our brains in neutral and just follow the crowd so often. So being a contrarian and contentious is not bad. I'm uh, pointing out to you some fallacies and traps we fall into. So, I, you know, the English guy, I mean, I just say like, well, dude, you know, guess what, English dude? I summed it up this way. It's like, if he was living in 1770, you know, just go back, what is that, three, not even 300 years. And he was writing the same crap, and he, instead of using Trump's name in his criticisms, he put in George Washington. Whoa, does that change anything? Oh, of course it does. So put the same English twat, as they say, and the, and the poser, and the poofter, and every, any other kind of insult and tosser you want to give the English. He's just an Englishman who doesn't get, he doesn't really get America. And why would that be? Because we kicked their ass out of the flaffin' country 300 years ago, and he still isn't over it. But, oh, no, no, he's a very clever man with the words. And he would say, like, well, come on, you don't, you can't possibly suggest that George Washington is, is, uh, would it would be supporting Trump, you know? And it's like, how would you know, dude? <laughs> I, I put forward that George Washington would be saying, hell yeah, Donald Trump is exactly what I want, you know? But everyone's gonna read mine. So the English guy is gonna read George Washington's mind, who's dead, and say, oh no, no, George Washington. No, I, I, you, you can't. You can't frame me, English twat from Sussex, into just a, a King George worshiping dude from 1770. Oh, no, no. Do not frame me that way. I am an intellectual. I spent years in Asia, of course. You know, Asia. You know, who are you, Mr. Tweeter, who, you know, criticizing me and claiming that I would, oh, that's such a rude, rude criticism to say that I am stuck in 1770. Well, I actually said you're stuck in 500 years, going back to King Henry VIII, you know, when the Reformation started and you, Sir Thomas More, burning people to stake, but now he's a man for all seasons. Yeah, burning people to stake. Little unknown story that gets unreported. All right, so I'm on a rant. So, Prosperity gospel. Um, I'm like, what's wrong with Joel Steen? I'm like, I don't follow the dude. You know, like, oh, he's like awesome and stuff. And in fact, like I said, he, at the end of every message, he says, go get involved in your, you know, Bible church or Bible believing church, right? He, he's not asking you to follow him. So, I, in, like, in the pure definition of false teacher, right there, maybe that's what I should take. In the pure definition of a false teacher, a false teacher wants you to follow them. Okay, that's what the whole context in Paul and the New Testament. When he's talking about false teachers, he's saying, "Oh, you got to get circumcised. You know, to be a Christian, you got to get circumcised. You got to, you got to join our club. You got to be in our club." You know, and Joel doesn't do that. So, quid pro quo, he's not. Uh, it's actually, QED, I think is that term, whatever, whatever that Latin term is. QED, Joel Osteen can't be a false teacher. In fact, maybe that's, maybe that's a good position for me to take. Thanks, guys. You helped me work that out. 
So Joel Osteen can't, by definition, be a false teacher. It doesn't matter what he says. He's not asking you to follow him, join his church, and anything. And yet that's the article kind of slants it all into this kind of crap. But anyway, moving on. Abundance thinking. Because like, I, I try to figure out, like, why do these people have such a burr up their butt against this guy? And I'm thinking, I think it's just because the dude has all his money. You know, and they're like, oh, well, look how successful he is. He's got millions of dollars and blah, blah, blah. And he's just telling people what they want to hear. I was like, well, that's just your envy and jealousy, dude. Face it. But they don't they don't want to face it. So I had to go with my German word, neidish, because it's just so you can't say someone's envious and jealous. Well, you can, but it doesn't have the, the oomph, oomph. When, you, when I say nightish. And I want I want you to like feel it like night, nightish. So night, you know, so nightish. It's such a beautiful word, man. Oh, gosh, nightish, man. <laughs> they're, they're just like, oh, night. He's he's talking about the living God and God Almighty, and then God's gonna work things out, and God supports you. It's like, ah, oh, well, no, that's. That's just prosperity gospel, man. Don't believe that. And I, and my twist on prosperity gospel is like, dude, you realize how foolish that is to criticize him for prosperity gospel, right? Because you first of all, you have to define like what exactly does it mean? It's like all these speaking in codes, dog whistle, as they say, right? Prosperity gospel is a dog whistle to those that think they're better than everybody else, okay? And it gives you that good feeling like, oh, yeah, I'm sitting here in this church. But no, those guys in that church. Oh, no, them. Oh, them. They're so silly. They they believe that prosperity gospel thing. Dog whistle. Right, bud? Bud, did you hear me say dog whistle? Yeah, I said dog whistle, dog. Bud. And there's a what? There's some bud. There's a dog over there. So the dog whistle, prosperity gospel, what does it really mean? It just means they, they think it means, so they have to define it, right? And you say, like, well, you know, if you have faith, then your whole life's going to be perfect and stuff. And, you know, and he wrote this book called Live Your Better Life Now. And it's like, what well, is there something wrong with living your best life now? Like, I it's like, I, I see, like, a guy that's like, man, God's calling me to be a missionary in India. You know, I think that's my best life now, to go to India and be a missionary. That's his best life now so why do you have to make fun of joel osteen's book your best life now because without even reading the details and studying the hell out of the book i think the general message is he's saying god is calling you to serve him do good things it might be being a ceo of a company it might be manufacturing widgets but all the people you work with you treat them with respect the people that work for you, you reward them. You know, you're on a journey of leadership. That, that might be your best life. Live it. The best life, I think, in that book is like, join with God. God's calling you to follow him. So, yeah, I'm, am I contrarian? You betcha I'm contrarian to, I'm only contrarian to the clowns that want to attack this guy, right? So, that's my. That's who I am. My calling is to listen to people criticize other people, listen to the other people, and see, make up my own mind. Right. So that's my. That's my brand. 
my brand, one part of my brand is that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote down living God. So Joel talks about a living God. And it's not about correct thinking and knowledge to push on others. So it's kind of like the critics will say, oh, well, it's prosperity gospel. It's not the real gospel, of course. You know, that's why I get into my gospel spelling, G-A-W-S-P-U-H-L, gospel, right? Because they have the real gospel, right? But there must be another gospel because if you say that there is a prosperity gospel, well, now we've got two gospels. So why not have a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth? Once you start saying, hey, this is prosperity gospel, then now we're opening the door to all kinds of gospels. So, and you got to, and our gospel is one of correct thinking, having the right doctrines, and thou shalt not baptize a baby, you know, kind of silly stuff like that. And uh, there's a bunny here. Is that a real person standing there? <laughs> I can't. That is freaky, man. Is that a real person? What do you think? I, what? What is that? I'm, I'm looking at that as like, is there a kid in there? What? I was like, what that? I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> Did you get a picture of that? Did you? <laughs> no, no, I don't know who that is. I don't, I don't, I'm just walking my dog, but I'm looking at that going, that looks like a real person in there, man. That's freaky, man. Freaky. Merry Christmas to you, too. The Amazon Prime guy right here in my neighborhood, people. So if Amazon Prime is not in your neighborhood, well, you know that I'm just living high on the hog here. I got Amazon Prime dropping off packages at homes with this freaking looking pink dude. Looks like Ralphie, I think. Looks like a Ralphie imitation. And he's... Standing at the front door. I think that's what it is, Ralphie. It's freaky. Looks like the real thing. That's what manufacturing, high-tech, 3D printing, all that good stuff. It allows us to have Ralphie in your front yard to freak out people walking their dogs. You follow that? You with me on that? All right. So the correct thinking, got to have the, the, you know, the gospel in some areas is correct thinking, having the right knowledge, right? Got to have the right knowledge. And which leads to just crab mentality. The results of that to me is crab mentality, which I think I referred to before, which is Google it, watch some videos. You put crabs in a bucket and people want to get out. I want to get out. I want to live free. I want to have abundant thinking. I want to love people. I want to love everyone always, right? That That's really the crux of it. And then, People read my mind. They say, oh, I don't think you love me. Well, you don't think I love you because you think I should conform to your boundary markers of what love looks like. So instead of asking me, like, hey, do you love me? You know, uh, you just want to assume and read my mind that, oh, this guy's so unruly, so contentious. Well, maybe I'm just frustrated as hell, dude. You know, why don't you seek to understand first before you start closing me off? But I'm out of the bucket, so they just kicked me out. Of, they didn't really kick me out of the bucket. I guess I'm out shaking the edge of the bucket saying, dudes, 
you're stuck in crab mentality. You got to get out. But they, they're happy in there. The song keeps going. Stay in the bucket, my friends. Stay in the bucket. Okay. Last point. I can't believe we're at the last point already. Kiwi fruit. Did you know? Did you know kiwi fruit? So this is a now what? I want everybody listening to go to the grocery store and buy some kiwi fruit. Okay. This is my call to action today. My calls to action are not hard. Okay. So my call to action is go to the grocery store, get some kiwi fruit. Now, the standard um, kiwi fruit in America is the green, green um, kiwi fruit. But my wife surprised me this morning with some yellow kiwi fruit. I was like, oh, you know, cool. What happened? What's 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 with the yellow kiwi fruit? What's that all about? And uh, tasted it, and I'm like, oh. I kind of like this yellow kiwi fruit. It's not as bitter. It's not as sour as the green stuff, right? So if you've had the luxury of, and I do, I really mean luxury, right? Because this is where I'm getting into. Do we? Do I appreciate everything? I don't. I mean, just the fact that I can go to the grocery store and buy kiwi fruit is kind of like a. It's a miracle. It's like this is new under the sun. <laughs> This is a Solomon thing. This is a new, under the sun, dudes making kiwi fruit somewhere, growing it, and sending it thousands of miles away to the U.S. of A. Maybe in a ship? I don't know. But kiwi is pretty cool. So then I had to, I don't know much about kiwi. I bet you, I would say most of you don't know about kiwi either. So that's why you tune in, because I'm going to tell you a little bit of what I know, which I learned by Googling, looking it up. So um, kiwi fruit is actually Chinese gooseberry, I think they call it. It's like if you take the, the literal translation of the Chinese word, it's Chinese gooseberry. And, um, or it might just be gooseberry, I don't know. But uh, you can, when you Google it, I was surprised. You can actually see that there's three Chinese characters for kiwi. Like you, like, like so the, the traditional thing is that Chinese characters, you know, are just like one image represents so much. Right? It's like everything is in there in one image, right? So I'm kind of surprised that Kiwi isn't just one image. I mean, like, if, 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 if like you can talk about the sophistication of the most philosophical thing in one Chinese character, right? Why would you have three for a kiwi fruit? Like, I mean, my my brain is going like, Chinese dudes, you made kiwi like way more complicated than it needed to be. Or another way to flip the coin around, they say, no, well, maybe, maybe the kiwi fruit is more important than some philosophical term, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll look at it that way for a little bit. So now I'm like I've got this weird obsession to like learn how to draw the three characters in Chinese <laughs> to uh, to be able to like meet some Chinese person someday and say hey I know one Chinese word one that's it I only know one Chinese word in how to do the characters and there's a word for that too I don't know what it is but um, you guys are smarter than I am right so I'm low on the 
low on the distribution curve of knowing about Chinese characters and the proper word and all that. You got it. You got it. You're with me on that. So I'm low on you're, You guys are smarter than I am. So you're probably shouting out the word right now. What is the word? Kanji or something like that. All right. So three of them for Kiwi. So what else about the Kiwi? So what do we learn about Kiwi? Well, Kiwi is a Chinese thing. That's where it started. So how does it end up in New Zealand? Because like the, the colloquial expression now is like, oh, he's a Kiwi. He's a Kiwi. Because there's like 25 million Australians now and a bunch of Brits. And they've been down to New Zealand. So there's a whole history of that area. Shout out to Carrie Phipps from Dubbo. Dubbo. Yeah, we love the Dubbos. And uh, the kiwi fruit, somebody somewhere in New Zealand decided, hey, man, this stuff tastes pretty good. And it might have been yellow. It's probably green. But we, either way, there's you got you probably have to grow it differently if you want to get the yellow one, I guess. Today was my first experience with the kiwi yellow fruit, okay? So, and it tastes, I said to myself, and it, it might be a visual influence, but it's yellow, right? Taste it. Kind of looks like a little bit of a banana, right? I'm, then my brain is like going, hmm, tastes a little bit of a cross between um, a kiwi sour and a banana, a sweet banana flavor, right? <laughs> so, so as an engineer, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe they crossed bananas with kiwis the green kiwis to come up with a yellow kiwi it's like total that's total bullshit on my part right so yeah you, you you're in a safe place in this podcast i'm not going to tell you that that's what because i don't know i still don't know but i just saw a picture of several different kiwis when you google it and they're all sliced in half so you can see the different shades there's even like an orangey colored kiwi so the kiwis are quite there's quite a variety of kiwis but the reason we know about kiwis is some enterprising New Zealander must have freaked out in China and said, hey, I love this stuff. We need to bring some of that stuff back to New Zealand and see if we can grow that here. So like in the 1930s and 40s, they were growing lots of kiwis and World War II happened. So apparently during World War II, you had Australians, New Zealanders and Americans and they were like, some New Zealand guy was in there. There probably weren't that many of them. There probably weren't like 10 million New Zealanders in the war. There's probably only like, you know, maybe a thousand, right, in the Pacific. I don't know. But the point being is that, you know, people like to label people all the time. And, uh, oh, he's a Kiwi. No, oh, he's a Kiwi. And then the American probably first time goes, well, what does that mean, a Kiwi? Oh, I'm from New Zealand. I'm like, well, why do you call him a Kiwi? Oh, because that's where you get kiwi fruit from. Even though if they had Google back then and some American soldier like me would go like, are you sure? Really? Kiwis came from New Zealand? Huh. And Google back in 1940 would say, oh, no, they're from China. It's a Chinese thing. Like, oh, okay. And I, I didn't bother. I was eating breakfast. I had some lovely scrambled eggs by my wife. How'd you like that for a diversion? <laughs> so. So uh, I hope you love that about this podcast. Anyway, um, so kiwis, and they're yellow. They can be yellow. So that's great. So I think I made it through all my points today. Is that right? So you got you to gotta call to action, which is you, now you know more about kiwi fruit than you knew before. And... Uh, 
So my call to action is go get some kiwi fruit, look at it, and just go, man, I just spent two bucks on fruit, and I'm going to cut it up and give it to my kids. And uh, the kids are going to go, hmm, that's good. And your kids might be sitting anywhere on the planet, but more than likely the kiwis came from New Zealand. So uh, uh, and then you can explain to your kids like, Kids, this is something new. This is this is actually something new under the sun, that the kiwi. Now you kids, you kids are not new under the sun. Because you're a continuation of this miracle of life, the human experience. And so you kids are not new under the sun. But all this stuff around you keeps changing. Kiwi fruits, iPhones. And jet airplanes. And since this, the jet airplanes were not on the agenda for this podcast, but since Buddy decided to walk over here by the wall, and I could just hear a car driving by the wall, but it's a worker. So we are probably two weeks away from full-fledged traffic availability on this thing. And then we'll see what this sounds like over here. It might be a din of of uh, auto noise on rubberized asphalt. Do you guys know what rubberized asphalt? Yeah, rubberized asphalt is where they they mix in. Apparently, I don't know. The the, the basic story is they they mix in uh, ground up tires, rubber, into the asphalt somehow. So I don't know if it's ten percent tires and ninety percent asphalt or if they do something else. But I'm sure there's a whole science behind the rubberized asphalt. But it does make the freeway quieter. And that's a specialty of Arizona. And they should probably should export that to Germany because that that process because if anyone could use rubberized asphalt it would be the Germans. I don't know who invented it. But I'm not going to Google it right now. But the point being is it's a special road app um, asphalt. And maybe they only use it in Arizona because we don't have winters and freeze, freeze roads. And maybe a rubberized asphalt would crack more than other products. But what we have here is rubberized asphalt, which is beautiful stuff to drive on. You can notice it in your car itself when you're driving down the road and you go from one type of road surface to be technical right from one type of road surface to the rubberized asphalt then you you can you can hear it you're driving along and all of a sudden oh i can turn the radio down now i can actually hear the music (laughs) yeah raise a glass to rubberized asphalt okay so dreaming about the tube i'll call it so I woke up and I had this thought. It's like faith, faith. And I thought, man, we put so much faith in technology. It's unbelievable how much faith we put in technology. I think this is a fascinating little story. So I hope hang in there with me on this one. So people think about like, wow, I, I don't know if I can believe in God, man. You know, it's so difficult, man. 
And it really is not difficult, but it is. You don't have a choice because he chooses you for faith. So, but if you want to play apologetics and have fun, apologetics is basically fun to me because it's not really a, a thing. Because it really apologetics only help those who are already have faith and they want to know more reasons or, or they just want to intellectually want to know more facts and interests and stuff. And I would actually say that it's, 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 it's a taking away from the real power. And the real reason you have faith is the Holy Spirit, which is God working in your heart to give you faith, right? So we, it's like the church has this, a lot of churches have this bipolar message. Like on the one hand, it's like, oh, no, you, you know, here's all the facts. Here's all the truth, all the information. And you should just believe it. You got to make a decision, man. Here's the facts. Oh, and you want, oh, you need more facts? Okay, we got these apologetics dudes. They're going to prove to you all this stuff, right? And the problem with that is it's like, that's not exactly how our faith started. It does, it does make sense for where the general status of our faith is at now in many places. But, you know, just having facts and information and smarts and history and knowledge and did you know this, that, that ain't cutting it, man. That's the Holy Spirit's going to open your mind. And we, and we so quickly get away from that as we grow older, have families, go to churches, we believe it, we get virtue signals, we you know, think we got to do better, got to be like my dad dying at 88 going, oh, man, I don't know if I did enough, man. <laughs> you know? And, and I chuckle only because I have faith. I know my dad had faith. It's just his organization kind of screwed him up. So could your organization be screwing you up? Probably could be. But it's only when you're super strong. Like some of you are, are like way out there on the Gaussian curve. And it's like, you don't need me. You don't need to hear this crap from me, right? You don't need to hear this because you're already like, no, nah, you, you get it already. Some Some people may not. I don't know. So my encouragement to you is to keep bolstering your faith in you know enough it's like it's not that complicated so back to the tubes the airplanes the uh ask yourself like with technology this is kind of like a faith and technology thing i think it's just amazing how much faith we have in technology right so Let's contrast what God may ask you to do, right? See, this is where the virtue signaling church, the do the Great Commission, you got to go to the Himalayas, you got to stop sex trafficking, something has to change people. Let's get fired up and fix this world, right? And yet the message says the world's fucked up. And if we haven't looked at history and figured it out by now that the world is fucked up, then I don't know what the fuck we're looking at, right? Because, I mean, Nazi Germany and shit was pretty ugly. You know, pretty freaking damn ugly that was, right? So, and things are getting better without virtue signalers telling us what the fuck to do, you know? Yeah, and is there sex trapping? Yeah, hell yeah, it sucks, right? But it, hasn't things sucked forever? And I'm not casually just like dismissing it. If your calling is to go fix it, go fix it then. And But go with this power of the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, don't go with knowledge. Don't go with like, 
superior attitude, like, oh, only I'm the one that's going to fix the sex trafficking in the Himalayas, right? No, you got to go with the power of God. That's why I don't like that new book by the man. Like, something's got to change. It's like, no, someone has to change. Some one person has to change. That's why I kind of flippantly say, look, Platt, why don't you just go do it, you know? Leave your church in McLean, Virginia, whatever the hell that is, right? Your holier-than-thou place where you're influencing politicians and crap. And uh, why don't you go to the Himalayas, man? Because you're off base. If you say, if you think, as your book says, something has to change, then you're off base, dude. Because it's not. God has never been about the something that has to change. He has only been about someone has to change. Okay? So... There's that dude, and he's got a following. And unfortunately, the following is another bucket, crab mentality. You can't get out of the bucket. Because he's not, he, he, you know, his fans, he's got his super fans. Platt has his super fans, right? And if you're not, like, really a super fan because he adds value, you're a super fan because he's part of the, the Borg of his organized religion, right? So that's him. He's peddling virtue signals. 2015, outstanding expression of the century, I think, virtue signal, because that's what a lot of religious leaders do. They virtue signal you to that. Okay, so back to faith. And a thought experiment for you, because we, you, you probably do this mindlessly. Some of you have been on airplanes in the last year. And... You just, it's just like we're all sheep mentality, right? I don't think anyone anymore thinks much about it. I mean, the first time flyer probably is afraid. But so many of us have flown multiple times. We just like, okay, going to the airport, got a $300 ticket. I'm going to go fly from A to B. Cool. Yeah, and your your brain is all jazz. You got the endorphins about travel. You're like, oh, I'm going to go to Bali. I'm going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to go to Berlin. I'm going to go to Krakow. I'm going <laughs> to go to Rome. I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to go to Moscow. I'm going to go to Tokyo. I'm going to go to New Zealand and get some kiwis. I'm going to go grow kiwis. I decided after this podcast that Buddy's owner's schnoodle walk, dude, has influenced me so much that I'm going to go just grow kiwi. You know, I'm going to go to New Zealand, give up everything I have, and I'm going to go to New Zealand and grow kiwis. Yeah, that, I'm because I'm virtue signaling that that's what you should do. No, I'm not virtue signaling that. But I would support you 100% if that's what you feel like God is calling you to do. So, airplanes. Right. So, do we have faith in the airplane? We have faith, and maybe not even just that airplane. It's really, you have faith in the whole last 100 years of aviation development. As a little plane flies by and I see a big jet overhead, right? This stuff's happening all the time. I see that big jet up there. There's 100 people on there. They're just like, in many ways, they're clueless. They're just like, oh, yeah, going to Phoenix. This plane's going to land. It's like an MD-90, MD-80 got the engines in the back. It's got to be an old plane. That, that plane is probably 20 years old, no doubt. Maybe on 30. Do people on the plane know? Nah. They got a shiny in-flight entertainment system. 
shiny glass screen, four, was it 4D HD, 4K videos, drinking a cup of Starbucks coffee. You know, they just went to the bathroom, came back to their seat. We'll be landing in 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and you have so much faith in technology that you're risking your life. You're putting your body 30,000 feet in the air in a tin can. It's an aluminum can, an aluminum tube. So if I describe to you, um, I already gave away the, the punchline. So this is my practice telling the story. But if I said, you're going to go get in an aluminum tube with 100 other people, and you're going to sit down, and some dude that you don't know is sitting up front, and he decides to like, okay, I'm, I'm going to burn some fuel. And you don't even realize that that burning fuel is going to start spinning exotic metals that have been mined from all over the world so that it, he doesn't have to burn as much fuel because there's a motivation to burn less fuel because that costs less money. So economics drives behavior. So you got this high-tech exotic metals spinning at probably eight to 12,000 RPM. And you're just sitting down in your nice cozy little seat. And uh, I'm six foot five, so I kind of pay more attention to the damn seats. And I'm, I'm like willing to like squeeze myself in with no leg room, sitting next to who know I don't know who, if I'm traveling by myself. And I'm going to sit down in this aluminum tube. And I'm, I'm excited because someone might bring me a cup of coffee, even though I totally block out of my mind the fact that I'm trusting not only technology that's been developed over the last hundred years, I'm trusting that the pilot knows what the hell he's doing. And we're burning fuel and we've got metal spinning around. And this thing's going 120 miles an hour down a one mile con narrow concrete strip. And I'm assuming they all know what they're doing and that this plane is gonna lift off the ground and go in the air. And this happens thousands of times a day. I think there was 30 million people flew on Thanksgiving weekend or something, 30 million. So 30 million people have faith, my friends. <laughs> 30 million people and more. You know, that I think there was like Three billion people have flown on a 747, which means maybe two billion have because, like, you know, they're counting every flight, every person. So, some of you have flown multiple times on a 747. So, let's say one billion people, one billion different people, have boarded a 747 and flown ten hours, probably across continents, right? And they're doing it every day. Faith, my friends, that is faith. Aluminum tube, engines, fuel burning, one mile runway, now, narrow strip, right? Now think about when the guy, the pilot gets to the other end. So now you're up at 30,000 feet. And do you know that you can't breathe air? There's not enough oxygen in the air at 30,000 feet. And Flight attendants used to make an announcement at the beginning of the flight, like put your seatbelt on and if the oxygen masks come on, you know, put your mask on first before you help somebody else with theirs. 
And in that phrase, in that time period, they'd be saying things like, well, during the flight, the, the cat. All right. So I don't know where I got cut off there. So I'm telling an airplane story. So I'm going to back up a little bit and give you a short version in case uh, I missed it. Because this has been a nice long walk because Bud's really interested in it. <laughs> Bud, you're interested in this, this, this topic, aren't you? So um, the tube, faith and technology. You get in the tube, you sit down, some guy f- starts burning some fuel. You're sitting there drinking coffee, Starbucks, enjoying your seat. If you're not 6'5", you're enjoying yourself, or if you're in first class, or business class. And you're going up to elevation, altitude, 30,000 feet. The cabin has been pressurized for your comfort, right? And I chuckle because comfort is living. It means you're going to stay alive. So if they didn't pressurize it for your comfort, you would suffocate and die, which is traditionally thought to be more comfortable to be alive than to be dead. I mean, that's sort of debatable, though, whether being remaining alive and landing at your destination and continuing on with your life on this planet, if that's more comfortable than dying, well, I don't want to, that's, I'm not going to debate that right now. <laughs> so, but the, the magical part about the flying in the tube is that the guy flies thousands of miles and magically, see, this is all magic. It's all technology. It's all development. It's all faith that we have in this process that we just voluntarily walk on these planes in the aluminum tube. And we are so mentally distracted by all the excitement of where we're going We don't even think about what we're doing. We're putting our physical body in an aluminum tube and trusting in the system that it's going to get us there. And then, you know, we we, maybe it's going to be a 10 hour flight and we go into reading a book. You know, if you got kids, you got to worry about whether their diaper needs to be changed or who's got to go to the bathroom. You're distracted by all kinds of things and it just feels normal. You're sitting in the plane and you're like, oh, well, great. All five of us are sitting together or six or something. We have three in this row and three in the row behind us or something. And yeah, it's all focused. We're distracted. But if you pause and say, holy crap, man, we're at 36,000 feet in the air. If this cabin wasn't pressurized, or if you lose cabin pressure, the, the oxygen masks are going to come out because of this reason. That's why they have oxygen masks. And they rarely come out. But they, they, there's been incidents. You know, I'm not here to try to scare you at this thing. My point is like how much faith we put in technology. Huge amount of faith. And if you frame it that way, it's like how much faith is God asking you to have? I don't think he's asking you to have that much faith. You know? <laughs> he's not asking you to like Okay, um, if you want to believe in me, believe in God, then I want you to eject yourself to 36,000 feet, just kind of hang around up there for a while without any oxygen or anything. But just trust me, man. Trust me. I, I got you. I got this. I'm God, you know. Just just launch yourself to 36,000 feet with no pressurized cabin. I got it. We'll, we'll take care of you. 
you know. And, and then, then the landing is what I get a kick out of too. So if you're, if you ever had the luxury of trying to land an airplane, you know, it's it's like you you know where the runway is, your instruments and your navigation, which you also rely on. You also put faith in all your instrumentation, but you use your eyeballs too, and you see like, okay, there's the runway. But that one mile runway that's not very wide looks like a little stick <laughs> on the ground. And Navy pilots, if I have some Navy F-18 pilots that have to land on an aircraft carrier, those guys are super studs, man. They land a jet on a tiny little postage stamp, right? But anyways, you do it. You're doing it too. It's just a mile long one way, narrow thing, and then they get down and then you, you get your stuff. And we bitch about how long it takes for our luggage to go through the carousel, right? Because, you know... We got this, man. Flying, flying from New York to LA. We got this, man. I'm all over it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh, wait. You mean I just extended a huge amount of faith and trust in thousands of people to fly from point A to P? Yeah, you just did. You just, you just put your whole life, you put your whole life and trusted it to an airplane. Wow, I mean, I'm I'm thinking to myself that is that is an interesting framing. Morning. So another dog out here. Hey. Looks like a. Okay. Oh, 14. Yeah, our guy. He's only five. He's five. So. Well, they're a great, a great animal, aren't they? Okay, or any dog, I've been pretty much. They're a great experience. Okay, have a great day. So yeah, we trust. We put our life in the hands of a potentially drunk pilot. I mean, I'm just kidding. Don't, I don't want to try to scare it. But we just don't know what's going to happen. Hi. Oh wait, are you um, Coach's wife? Hi. Well, I, I always see him out here. Are you, are you, his buddy, are you okay with dogs? Oh, well, I am. Absolutely. And you are again? Sue. Sue, okay. Yes. And you're like, I Michael was, Ward, Cameron's, Cameron's dad. Cameron's dad, yeah. that's right. Yes. We'll see you walking and running. And stuff. Yeah. You guys are my heroes in a way. He, no one's ever told you that before. But you're my heroes because of all the grief you guys get over the years. I mean, if you're a baseball, high school baseball coach, Think of all the crap that people throw your way, right? <laughs> so, how did you survive that? I'll tell you, those parents can be brutal. Right? <laughs> yeah. Have you told the story before? I mean, do you have you written a book or anything? <laughs> he probably could. <laughs> yeah. He has a good heart, but people don't see it. No. Right? No. Because I'll tell you, that for every bad parent, there's a good parent. Ooh. He gets. I bet he gets the best. He gets the best response. And the absolute worst <laughs> response, right? That's very true. I mean, <laughs> that's, very, that's very true. But you know, it's all about the kids. And these well, yeah. so many kids, good kids go through the program. It's, uh, I bet he's got a great book in him, I bet. I would. You know, I, like, I would say so. About <laughs> human nature, parenting. Not, not that he's, you know, I think it, it would come across. There's so many books about how to parent, which I don't think is a good thing because there's too many of those. But if he just, like, gave his observations, right? Right. Like, because... <laughs> 
because who who surrounded you over the years to like, hey man, I heard that, I saw that, that was a terrible email. Like some of these stupid emails that were going around. It's like I, I would crush me if I yeah. got one of those emails. Yeah. If so, you believe in what he does and in himself, and who get what other people say, whatever. It's just all about but he, he's got an amazing resilience, I would call he does. it. He does. So he should. I mean, that he's that's rare, though. I think, like he there's the he could respond many ways. He could be bitter and be like, "Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm the best high school coach ever." He does. I don't think he does that. I, I, he, <laughs> he doesn't. He may come across that way. He doesn't do that though. But you have to, in a way, you kind of have to have that. You know, my program. I'm going to do it this way, parent. Just so you know. Yeah, um, and and we expect him to be a perfect communicator, which is not fair to him. Absolutely. Right. So, so we're so unfair to people. Now that he's an assistant, he loves it because it's not on him. Yeah. And he can just worry about the kids and think about the coaching and not about all this other stuff going on in the background. But he was pretty good about tuning all that out. Well, you let him know that I think he should write a book and, and let it, it's going to, it needs to float around his head for a while if he hasn't thought about it. Let it let it start thinking in his head because maybe in a year or two he'll go, yeah maybe I should write a book and I, and I think he could do. He's, and he can write. Oh he's okay. Very eloquent. Oh. He's oh my he does all of our car everything we send out they gives him he writes them he's good. He okay. So he so I and I think he has a lot to offer the world. You know start out humble right I'm not trying to say he's going to change the world right but I I I I think he just starts you know I think he has a lot to offer because I I I'm I'm about to maybe. Be, I'm afraid of being public. Like, so like your husband um, has been public. I mean, he's, and he's gotten beaten up like, like crazy, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot to learn from him about that because I don't know how to deal with it. Right. Why are you getting beat up? Or what's well, I'm afraid because I'm, I have like a religious message that I want to get out. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. But, but I, I just fear like criticism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're right. How to be resilient. How to be, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's just this world needs more people like you. Like well, him well I'm not like him. I mean, I'm not as strong. Like, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, I've watched him, and I'm like, man, how does he put up with all that? You know? He handles it really well. He handles it really well. Because, again, he believes in what he does, and he believes in how he handles the situation, and he believes in the kids and the program. And the, so. so I would steer his message to be, it's not his temptation. He's so familiar with baseball and coaching kids. But I think his biggest message is how to deal with uh, criticism. And, 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 and still live a decent life, yeah. right? Because, I mean, I think he's gotten brutalized by yeah. stuff. Yeah. Anyway, you plant that idea in his head. I will. I will. You're I, sweetheart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, you're such a sweetheart. <laughs> All right. Have a great, great day. All right. Thank you. All right. Will do. I'll tell Cams. I know he loves Cams. He loves the kids, right? All right. Okay. You love them, too. All right. You're... Qu- you, you're the hidden part of the chapter 10. You're chapter 10. <laughs> so she's got a message. They have a message. Baseball coach, brutal, criticized, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess you caught that. If you're the writing coach, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm doing some work for you. I'm looking for future authors for you okay so word of mouth people if you're listening to that because message he's got a message
I know. I think you heard that. So we have faith in airplanes. Every day, you got faith. So how does that faith stack up to faith in God? And I think we make it so hard because we have these expectations of the teaching. is like you got to go do stuff. You got to do this. You got to do. You got to go do this stuff, you know? And John is such an amazing dude because he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And I love the end of his gospel. I've mentioned it before how Peter, we have a lot of Peters in the church. Peter's pushing stuff. Peter's enthusiastic. And John kind of lays back a little bit. And he uh, he's kind of chill. So that's John. So we got to notice those things. I mean, I, I'm saying, hey, take a, pay attention to who's writing what, what's their background. Because unfortunately, the message I get a lot of times is that we treat the Bible like it's magic words that uh, the guys go into a trance and have no life experience. And they write in a trance and bingo, bango, bongo, you've got inspired inner word of God, which sounds so formal and so important. And yet, why not... Isn't it better to like look at the actual history and go, oh, oh, John wrote this. Okay. It's kind of cool. Who's this guy? Oh, yeah. He's the beloved disciple. Oh, maybe I should give him a little more attention than Peter because Peter's kind of a dork. So, yeah. I'll listen to Peter too, but I'm going to keep in mind that he was a dork. So, <laughs> that's how my message on reading the Bible too. So yeah, I've got lots of content. So shout out to everybody. We're home. Long, long podcast. And it was my first podcast with some prep. So obviously I didn't put any time limits on my prep. And I added one big section on airplanes and faith. So faith. How much faith do we need so there you go we need what do we need we need some grace and i i just did something nice there i don't know if i was i was on the podcast sue the high school baseball coach wife for 25 years getting beat up by stuff and now he's on the other side it's on the other side i'm planting a seed in his head and it's not about technique and baseball and knowing how to do this. It's, I think he's got an awesome message on dealing with criticism, man. Because it's, it's, it's got to be way worse than I can imagine. So there is a, one hell of a book that should be published. is dealing with criticism by, by a high school coach. Amazing. All right, so grace, we need that. Mercy and peace as a result. Amen.